We love you guys. We love Jesus, and we couldn't be more proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with you, watching the kingdom expand, watching it grow and advance and conquer. Come on, this is session number four. Somebody say four. Four. Come on, because it's something for you. We're going to have a good time this afternoon, I promise. Man. <laughs> That's right. He is a homiletic blade. So we've had a fiery, passionate, and inspiring conference so far. Well, Pastor Eric laid it down for us. He began our conference by challenging us to be disciples, confronting danger. Demonstrating with manly vigor in opposition to the spirit of cowardice that we're to possess this very quality. We're to be men and women that are filled with heavenly intrinsic power to be witnesses for Christ through our daily death. And the only way people will find our courage to be inspiring is if we have the chutzpah to actually show it, demonstrate it, and set it forth. See, that was just the first session that we had. Then we had this morning with Pastor Brent. Pac Brent was with us this morning, teaching us how to be dangerous to the enemy because the kingdom is advanced only by force. But first, the kingdom must be advanced in you. Somebody say first. First. That's where this all begins. See, when you are DCD, you don't care a damn for the things of this world. You don't pray for personal protection because you're looking to be wrecked in every situation by the Holy Spirit. Elisha was dangerous because his life was wrecked by true discipleship. He had a head-on collision with discipleship. Church, you got to remember today that you may have had a lot of things given to you, but it's time for you to go and take it now. It's time for you to engage in the battle. Amen. Then Pastor Justin, man, teaching you how to be dangerous to the enemy in this place by boldly speaking the truth of God's word into the utter despair of every situation that you engage with, into every Naaman that you find because their life depends on you becoming dangerous to the enemy. We're going to have a seriously good time in this session today. One of the last things that Pastor Justin portrayed to us, illuminated to us, shared with us, was that idea of full exposure. Whoa. Thinking about those bright lights, that full mirror. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something else. Hey, church, we have to have full exposure in our hearts before the Lord that he might actually move in us. Amen. See, you can't be dangerous to the enemy when you're worried about those kind of things. Turn with us to Zephaniah chapter 3. It's always good when in the first minute or two you just jump right into the word because that's what's going to help us out. Mm. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. Somebody say there when you are there. there. All right, that's about a third of you. Zephaniah. Pastor, we're trying in Zephaniah. What do you expect? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. I'm so appreciative of the tongues and the word of interpretation that came forth during worship this just a few minutes ago. What Pastor Nick so eloquently put is the very opening line of this scripture. The Lord your God is with you. Okay, y'all must be sleepy from lunch. 
It's okay. I will get off this stage. I'm not worried about it. The Lord, your God, is with you. Can anybody give me a better amen than that today? He is with you, especially when you are standing with him. He is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Not some little pansy in the back room, but you got a mighty warrior over God who is about making war and about you to help make war against the enemy. Amen. See, y'all thought y'all would come in for a little sleepy post-lunchtime. That ain't what we do. We're the one association. We can't say we're dangerous to the enemy and not actually put it into practice in our life. Can somebody give me a good amen? Oh, that makes me happy, saints. You guys fill me with joy to see that manly vigor coming out of you right now. With a big smile on my face, I want to remind you guys that this is a, a family reunion. This is a great big garage that we're all just piling in, shoulder to shoulder. Isn't it good to see your brothers and sisters? When you thought it couldn't get any better than that, oh, there's more. This is also a consecrated convocation of combatants. This is a war room filled with warriors who are ready to wage war in the heavenly realms on the behalf of our commander. Is that true, saints? Yes. We also want to take this moment, and we want to let you know that you guys are special. You're special to us. Each and every person. Pastor Massey, Pastor Slaughter, you guys are special to us. Each and every one of you in the one association are special. Special forces, that is. Of course you're designed for war. That's what we do. You are special forces of soldiers that are ready to live and die. Because our cause is great, our reward eternal, and our victory, it is absolutely assured. Amen? Well, you mighty men and women of God that are special forces of God, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 17. (laughs) Special forces, baby. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in a zeal as a cloak. Everybody say cloak. Cloak. This is the way that God dresses himself for battle. And this is the way that we dress for battle. In fact, this word cloak brings us to the title of our message for you today. And that is cloak and dagger. Cloak and dagger. This is a term that refers to intrigue, mystery, espionage, clandestine behavior. But I want you to think about the behavior during the days of the Cold War. Or if it's just something that is part of your favorite spy movie, if you can't relate to the Cold War. If you just so happen to miss those days, don't worry about it. 
Those times will soon be returning to our culture and our, our days. That's true. We're, we're, this, heading, we're heading exactly for that. Oh, yeah. We're on a head-on collision for it. This is a, a time where there is a plethora of mysterious means of warfare, clandestine behavior, little secret operatives working behind the scenes to try to win the war without an outfront battle. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. The theme of our entire conference comes from this very chapter. 2 Kings chapter 5. We get to start in verse 20. When you get to verse 20, say cloak and dagger when you get there. Woo! Even got the kiddos over here getting this. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 20, it says this. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself. Now, before I finish reading this passage, clearly we have picked your favorite character in the entire Bible, Gehazi. I mean, there's the Apostle Paul, there's King David, and I know for most of you in here, a very, very close, like 1A on your favorite character in the Bible (laughs) is Gehazi. But you got to understand where we're starting from. This man was the servant of the man of God. Yeah, he was. He was a servant to Elisha. He is walking around. He is close. He is daily with Elisha. What was that like in an everyday way? Hanging out with a national prophet, watching resurrections take place. As a matter of fact, Elisha even sent Gehazi ahead of him just a few verses before this. A boy had died. He took his staff and handed it to Gehazi and said, you run with it on ahead. Somebody say, that's trustworthy. That's trustworthy. That is a serious obligation. You go run ahead and lay my staff on the boy's face. What was Elisha trying to do with Gehazi? Give him a chance to raise the dead. Yeah. My goodness. He is there with Elisha. See, in our language, it doesn't sound like much to be a servant. But this is a prestigious position. Think about it like Joshua serving Moses. Inheriting all of Moses' strengths and none of his weaknesses. In line to be what Moses was. Sounds like real discipleship going on there. You know who else understood this? Elijah and Elisha. Elisha is now in this story everything that Elijah was and more. That is the goal of discipleship. That is what we are aiming for. That's what this entire association is about, is disciples that are creating other disciples. Ones that don't care a damn about the things of the world because you've been empowered by the righteous things of heaven. This is Gehazi. He is becoming to Elisha what Elisha was to Elijah. Let me put it in a different way. It could have been Elijah, Elisha, Gehazi. This is the position that this man is in. He is not a slacker. There is something special about the man Gehazi. He is the servant of of Elisha, the man of God. Amazing accomplishments prior to this. As a matter of fact, one time Elisha was trying to bless that Shunammite woman and said, what am I going to do for her? Hey, Gehazi, tell me what you think I should do. 
I think she wants a son. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> Somebody say, that's insightful. That's insightful. Gehazi was in line to receive the cloak of Elisha, which was the cloak of Elijah. Are y'all with me on Gehazi here just as we're getting this started? When we say cloak, don't think about like a, you know, an ugly Christmas sweater party. Don't even think about Joshua's multicolored, I'm sorry, Joseph's multicolored coat. Think about the very garment that Elijah used to strike the Jordan River and cross as he ascended into the heavens. Think about the cloak that then Elisha took up and struck the same river and the exact same thing happened. Gehazi is in line for the cloak of Elisha. Listen to the verse in its entirety. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. Oh, here's our first problem. This Aramean, a man from the modern-day country of Syria, by not accepting from him what we brought, as surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Somebody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. What we see here is that Gehazi is filled with greed. But he's more so filled with a selfish ambition that begins to separate, cause distance between him and his disciple maker. Gehazi has been riding on the cloak tails of Elisha. See, Elisha, he ran after Elijah. You guys recall that from the story. Gehazi is running, but he's not running to obtain the cloak of his disciple maker. He's running to his own greed. He's running to his own selfish ambition. He's still in close proximity to Elisha. He's near his cloak. But he's refusing to pick it up and put it on. See, Gehazi was called to be cloaked but was content with coasting behind the cloaktails of another's powerful call. Gehazi's dagger is his own religious words of justification, his own sense of self-righteousness. He is saying, my master was too easy on Naaman by not accepting something from what he brought. In essence, he's saying, look, I'm going to help my master my pastor, I mean my master, out by pursuing what he would not. I know an alternative way that can ultimately bless me and what I need. See, in this case, Gehazi, he's running, and he's running after riches instead of running after righteousness. These are Judas-like behaviors. You have a servant who is in line to inherit a great call. Judas was in line to inherit a great call. To be seated with the apostles for eternity. And receive a wealth of riches from the heavens. All oh, what it would be like to be one of the original twelve. To spend three and a half years next to Jesus and yet the whole time you are running after selfish ambition and greed and missing what is right in front of you. See, these things would pierce 
his own soul because they were laden with personal gain. Like so many disciples, he was a man called to be the cure. Instead, Gehazi became the disease. When you're participating in this kind of cloak and dagger behavior, saints, you're in the same camp as Judas Iscariot. You're in the same camp as Simon the sorcerer, the king of Sodom, Balaam's error, and even Demas himself. This is something that we have to recognize, see the truth of, turn the full lights on the mirror of God's word to expose what's inside of us because we got to do something about it. Church, there are many people who claim to be dangerous to the enemy. There's a lot of us, I think the majority, I think the vast, overwhelming majority of people in this room have a sincere desire to be dangerous to the enemy. We're now showing you some ways that will keep you from actually becoming dangerous. Church, it's time for us to get the Gehazi out of here. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got to get Gehazi out of here today. Get the Gehazi out of here. Bada bing, bada boom, we're going to make some room, not on Zoom. How's that, Rosales brothers? Did I do a good job? Forget about it. <laughs> It's okay, I got it. It's all right. It's all right. Church, we're going to become dangerous to the enemy by putting on the cloak of the mighty men who've gone before us, our disciple makers. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We're not just going to ride on their cloak tails. We're not just going to get close to who they are and the benefits of being around them. We are going to pick up the cloak that they lay before us and wear the mantle of who they are, becoming what they are. I'm not asking you to become like the men of God that you're following. I'm saying become them. Amen. Becoming like someone allows you to keep a distance. Perhaps it allows you to keep a very Gehazi-like spirit in your heart. I'm not asking you to become like us. I'm saying become us. Become better than us. This is what true discipleship looks like. This is what it looks like to put on the cloak of the man of God that you should be serving. There's no sons of Sceva in this place. Men who could talk the word but can't do the deed. Men whose speech is much better than their actions. That's not the kind of people that we're raising up in this place. We're going to be men who follow. Men who are discipled. Men who are fully engaged with the word of God. And so we become dangerous to the enemy. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Pastor, I was looking up in the, uh, in the original language here in the Greek, and, and I found uh, a parallel translation. The two brothers were actually Zeke and Zach Lamb, is what it actually said in the original. <laughs> it, just, just to let you guys know. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Yes, that's what fishermen do. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to be fishers of men at once. Somebody say at once. At once. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
See, if you're going to get away from the cloak and dagger of Gehazi and find the right cloak to put on in the kingdom of God, you got to leave everything behind. Amen. We are men and women who actually leave it behind. More than just what they say, we're going to be people who actually do it. Like Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldeans. He left his country. He left his people. He left his father's house. You got to leave the tax collector booth if you're like Matthew. You got you to burn the plow like Elisha did. There's no going back. You can't even keep a remnant of your other life. You got to be a remnant with new life. Amen. You got to get to burning some plows in this place today. You can't hold on to what you were to get to what you're supposed to be. Come on. That's good. If you're going to keep holding on to what you were, that's always going to be what you are. But we're going to get the Gehazi out of here today. You got to get rid of your methods. You got to get rid of your own thoughts. You got to get rid of your own ways that you might actually put on the cloak and you can become everything that God has for you, which is to become dangerous to the enemy. Oh, amen. Listen, as we get the Gehazi out of here, we will choose to not be those with religious rhetoric, espousing this religious rhetoric while running after the riches of the wretched. We are DCD. We don't care a damn for the things of this world. That's the kind of attitude that we are and that we ask you to become. We are disciples confronting danger. We are dangerous to the enemy because we have our hearts pierced with an all-out abandon, a full-price sacrifice that is right in the face in opposition to greed itself. Turn with me to Genesis 23 and say cloak and dagger when you get there. We will start in verse 8. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of this, his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price. Everybody say full price. Full price. As a burial site among you. You see, Abraham's full price sacrifice, it's aimed at something. It's aimed at purchasing a plot that his entire family's resurrection will occur on. It wasn't just for him that he was willing to pay a full price sacrifice so that his descendants would resurrect where he would resurrect. It was a mystery, though. It was a, an item of intrigue to those that were selling it to Abraham. But it wasn't a mystery to Abraham. Abraham had seen the word of God appear before him. Abraham had seen the very substance of heaven direct his heart in what to run after. Because he was wearing that cloak of righteousness that came through faith. And he was willing to sacrifice whatever he owned 
with the dagger of full price sacrifice. Abraham was a disciple that knew that he and his family could conquer death. And through him, he would raise up other disciples that would conquer death. And together, they would resurrect at the plot of land that he paid the full price of sacrifice for. Come on, somebody say full price sacrifice. sacrifice. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And we're going to look at verse 22. We're going to have the cloak of our leaders upon us. We're going to have the dagger of full price sacrifice that is working in our heart. First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 22 says this. David said to him, let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the pandemic, <laughs> I mean the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. Mm. See, when you're a disciple that's confronting danger, you always are going for the full price sacrifice. Abraham had the dagger of full price sacrifice for the sight of the resurrection of his offspring. David has the dagger of full price sacrifice to secure the sight of God's temple here on earth. It's the only hope for the dying world. David understood that he had to pay that full price sacrifice. Look at verse 23. Aruna said to David, take it. Let my lord, the king, do whatever it pleases him. Look, I'll give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give all this. I love that about Aruna. But David understood something that is important. But King David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying full price. Amen. That's not a very good negotiating tactic. But maybe the problem is, is you're trying to negotiate. Hmm. Negotiators don't become dangerous to the enemy. David understood this. I insist on paying full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. We've got to insist on paying a full price sacrifice. Amen. Not just those who are on a stage, but every man and every woman in this room. You have to get that down and let that pierce your very soul. It's got to pierce your heart. By the way, church, there's a dagger in your hand either way. If you're the kind that's going to take more than you give, you're going to be very much like Gehazi. You're going to be diseased. You're going to have the, the diseased dagger that stays with you. But if you always give more, if you always give all that you have, here's a thought. If you quit measuring yourself by only what you give, but by what you've kept back in reserve. If you measure that and say, Lord, I'm going to entrust myself to you and pay the full price and give you all I have all of the time. If you're like me, you've said that many times in your own life. Lord, I'm going to give you all I have. Until the very next thing comes up, then I'm going to keep a little bit for myself. See, 
but we're going to have the dagger of full price sacrifice in our hands today. Amen. We're going to get the Gehazi out of here, yes. and we are going to be able to become disciples who are more than just confronting danger. We're going to be disciples who are able to conquer death. We're going to be disciples that are able to accomplish what God puts before us and become dangerous to the enemy. Amen. Put up the next slide for us. We just want to remind you what we're covering. We're going to lay out a Christ cloak and dagger for you. The cloak that he gives is the one where you are becoming the men that we follow. That you are holding in your hand the dagger of full price sacrifice. As we continue, we want you to know that full price sacrifice is always required to become dangerous to the enemy. This was clearly seen in Elisha's life. He was a man that was DCD. He was a disciple confronting danger. He was a product of being discipled well by Elisha. And he became like his disciple maker in every way. He was there when Elijah struck the river with his cloak and crossed over. Man, what a sight to see. You're following right behind your disciple maker. He strikes the Jordan River, crosses over, taken up into the throne of heaven in a fiery chariot, and there lies his cloak on the banks. What does Elisha do? He picks it up. He picks it up and imitates the very thing that he saw his disciple maker do. He struck that Jordan River. He crossed, and he began to go do twice as much as what was demonstrated to him. What does it look like? To take up the cloak and dagger that God gives you. It looks like to take up the cloak that you've been covered by in discipleship and begin to do the exact same things that you saw them do. It's utilizing the same dagger that you've watched them use with full price sacrifice. See, this time, Elijah's cloak would be in Elisha's hands. And it would be the very thing that would cloak his shoulders. But how did Elisha get the privilege to possess this cloak? And yet Gehazi did not. Was an issue, was it an issue of proximity? No. Elisha was a close, was just as close to Elijah as Gehazi was to Elisha. Was it a matter of anointing or gifting? No. They equally all had that same anointing and gifting. It was determined by how Elisha stayed in the attitude of wanting nothing but the cloak of becoming like his disciple maker and possessing the dagger of full price that his disciple maker had as well. See, both Elisha and Gehazi started at the place of being a servant, but it was Elisha who started as a servant that would pay the full price sacrifice. He would burn his carts. He would slaughter and gift his oxen. He would put on the cloak of becoming like the man that he was following and grasping the dagger of full price sacrifice. We have a model before us that is showing us how we can become just like they are. How we can conquer just like they conquer. And in doing so, we become equally, if not maybe Twice as dangerous to the enemy as they are. Come on now. Let's go back to 2 Kings 5 and see how the story progresses in verse 21. 2 Kings 5, 21 says this. 
So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. I have to be honest with you. I've kind of fallen in love with the character of Naaman. Oh, not where he started from, but what he became after the transformation. He is now concerned for someone else. He's looking and going, why are you running towards me? There must be something wrong. Let me get down from my place and let me check on you to make sure that you're okay. Is everything all right? Verse 22. Hey, everything's all right, Gehazi said. Lie. My master sent me to say, lie. Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Lie. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Gehazi is running after Naaman. He's hurrying after Naaman. He is following him because he thinks that he can get what he wants from Naaman. By the way, Naaman showed up with ten talents of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. That should be familiar to some of you ladies who packed to get here for three days. <laughs> I'm just picking. I'm just. But if it's for you, then okay. I mean, none of us have ever heard running after someone because we think that they might have something that we want. Not running after God, not running even after the man of God to learn something from him, but rather let me just run after somebody who seems to have the right kind of pocketbook. Church, this is the ultimate kind of cloaking that goes on. Behaviors that are cloaked to yourself. Let me help you identify some of those cloaking devices that you have here. Let me go run to someone who's going to be easier on me more sympathetic to my cause. You know, like Pastor Massey. I'm going to go run to him. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Massey just gets me. (laughs) Or how about this one, to help you understand your own cloaking. Hey, Pastor, I'm just trying to help you. Let me not do anything that you just asked me to do at all, whatsoever, but let me come and help you. Why is it that you think of you not doing what you were asked to do in the first place is somehow helping? Oh, maybe you're running after something else and it's cloaked to you. But Gehazi had an even bigger problem. Gehazi had a mega problem. He is taking advantage of a brand new believer. Gehazi was, uh, Naaman was so transformed that he even wanted to take as much dirt back home as he could because he never wanted to pray anywhere else but the land that God loved because he learned it from the people that God loved and he became in love with the God of those people. That's the guy that I'm going to go run after now. It becomes noble Naaman 
and greedy Gehazi. I tell you what, in our time, he would have just gotten, uh, simply gotten Naaman just to tithe from his own home. Let's go ahead and online that. Better yet, he might have even offered Naaman a position, you know, on a deacon board or, or, or an elder group since he had and knew how to possess great wealth. Taking advantage of a brand new believer. The very thing that Naaman was delivered from, namely that he thought he could buy what he needed from the heavens. Ten talents of silver. 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 wardrobes of clothing. I'll just come and I'll buy what I want. Is now the very thing that Gehazi is trying to tempt this man with. He's being exploited. This is the seduction of the world system. You can't love the world or anything that's in the world, 1 John 2 teaches us. 1 Timothy 6, let me read this to you. For we were brought, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Just food and one set of clothing. That those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, this is the part you think you know is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. See, Gehazi wants what the world system has to offer. He thinks that the solution to his problem is more resources. Naaman has learned the lesson and gives of it freely. You want a talent of silver? I'll give you two. You said there were two prophets. Let me give one for each of them. Romans 16 and verse 17 says this. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive, new-believing kind of people. With this clear understanding of Gehazi, his behavior that ours looks so much like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get the Gehazi out of here. We're going to become dangerous to the enemy by becoming like the men that are overseers of our soul. In fact, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's look at verse 2. Say cloak and dagger whenever you get there. Y'all there? Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. See, here we have a clear example of what leadership is supposed to look like. That is to run from dishonest gain. It is to run, to be eager to serve, eager to confront danger, eager to conquer death. It is to set the precedent 
for the disciples that they are raising up. Look at verse 5. In the same way, in the same way of the elders that are demonstrating how to be dangerous to the enemy. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe or cloak yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. See, saints, we are running in the pursuit to be daggered by the truth of God's word in our own heart so that we can be cloaked in the humility that takes the wrong for others' sake, that lays down our lives so that they can become what we are, and together we can both be dangerous to the enemy. Natalie, would you put up the next slide for us? See, church, as you are understanding to be cloaked with humility, when you're cloaked with humility, it should remind you, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6, that said, shouldn't you rather be wronged? Wouldn't it be better that you actually take wrong upon yourself than to ever wrong someone, to take advantage of someone else? See, when you get the Gehazi out, you're not looking to fight for your own rights. Those kind of people never become dangerous to the enemy. Those are the people who chant D-C-D, but aren't living it in their own life. The Bible, the kingdom of God is all about those who will humble themselves in this realm, who will be cloaked in humility and die to themselves daily so that the Lord may lift you up in due time. And everyone who exalts your own life, your own self, your own desires, you will be humbled in the most painful kind of way. This is kingdom. This is not superstar. This is kingdom. To be cloaked with humility. To have the dagger of the sword of God's word constantly checking, constantly circumcising your heart so that you can advance, so that it's about others advancing. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 5. Let's look at verse 23. By all means, take two talents. Say the word two. Two. Take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. He wouldn't even carry his own plunder. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. Gehazi is secretly, through mystery and an intrigue, wanting to gain something that relates to the number two. See, we have two talents, two bags, two sets of clothing, two servants. It's almost like Gehazi is seeking for double. Wow, where do we know that from? His disciple maker received double from Elijah. But because Gehazi's heart was set on gaining riches, he was seeking double of what this world had to offer instead of what his disciple maker had to offer. 
The question is, what are you asking a double portion for? See, Gehazi's double portion would eventually become double trouble. His religious speech that is showing to only be a mere shadow in comparison to his father in the faith, Elisha. Gehazi's clandestine cowardice is now choking out the conviction of the Holy Spirit that is supposed to be deepening within his soul, establishing him to be dangerous to the enemy. How could Gehazi spend so much time with Elisha and yet be nothing like him? It's the same way that we can spend so much time around Jesus and end up being nothing like him. Saints, the reason we are presenting this to you tonight is that we will all have to stand and appear before our master and give an account to Jesus. His very presence is with us at all times. Our actions and motives are in full view, even if they're cloaked to us. What we seek to do is get the Gehazi out of here so that we can live up to our disciple makers, so that we can have the cloak and dagger of Christ that work within us. Come on, it's about to get real. Somebody say, it's about to get real in here. It's about to get real. Look at verse 25 in 2 Kings 5. When he went in and stood before his master. So Gehazi's lied like it's going out of style. Naaman even sent his own servants and carried the cash in front of him, and then he hid it. Well, no wonder Gehazi was having to run. He didn't get permission to go do what he was doing. (laughs) He had to get back as quickly as possible. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. I, 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 I didn't go anywhere. See, this is where the cloaks begin to collide. Elisha, the anointed man of God, who is absolutely dangerous to the enemy, yeah. still wearing the cloak of deep conviction that he's had since the very beginning. Through abandonment of selfish gain, Elisha did not let Naaman, no matter how much Naaman was trying to give him something, he understood the kingdom principle and said, I don't want anything from you. Lest you learn the wrong lesson that you somehow can buy what I have. Because you can't. He's now, that man is now confronting the cloak of cowardice in Gehazi. Here's another way to look at it. Elisha gives Gehazi a chance for redemption. He does. He gives him a chance to make things right. He gives him a chance for repentance, a chance to give glory to God. Joshua 7, 19. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him by telling me what you've done. Don't you hide it from me. You think the worst thing that can happen to you is you get punished? The worst thing that happened to you is you can stay like Gehazi. As bad as Gehazi's behavior has been, he now has the chance to cast off the cloak 
of deep deception and be cleansed from his selfish ambition and put on a cloak of deep conviction. Amen. Gehazi's given a chance for full repentance. How many times have you and I been given chances for full repentance? But instead we double down. Saying we want a double portion, but we just double down in our deception. The piercing of this dagger of deception is now set. Reminds me of Acts 5. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, that's the price. Peter said to her, how can you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. By the way, church, you know that Naaman was cleansed for more than just leprosy, right? He had to be cleansed from the notion that his own strength, his own provision, his own funds, his own right arm could save him. The leprosy was the easier of the two things to cure. Gehazi is now trapped by the same dagger, thinking that he was owed what he was getting. Since the man of God can't recognize how great I am, I'll just go take it for myself. After all, it was just what he deserved to be paid, right? What he should have done for full repentance was actually give glory to God. Run after Naaman and make restitution. He could have said something like this. I know, Naaman, I may be further in my years in the faith, but I'm clearly less in my practice than even you, sir. We should be able to understand this story in a very, very deep way, but we actually have more for you yet. Because we're going to get the Gehazi out of here today. Amen. One of the ways that you get the Gehazi out of here is putting on the cloak of courage. When you put on the cloak of courage, it makes you dangerous to the enemy. It empowers you to get the Gehazi out of you. Acts 4.13 says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That Peter and John were wearing the cloak of courage and they were dangerous to the enemy. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be cloaked in courage, be strong. Philippians 1:20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. He is laying out the pathway to put on the cloak of courage to become dangerous to the enemy. And he was, and we should be, disciples confronting danger with a cloak of courage. Church, not only should should all of us develop the cloak of courage, but we need to have the dagger of deep convictions. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, it says this, For we know, brothers... Loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came 
to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Come on, I've seen how the Lamb family lives. For your sake. I've seen how Pastor Justin lives for your sake. I've seen how these men live. It's for your sake. You became imitators. Not just those who mimic, but actual imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of slight discomfort. Severe suffering. I mean, we're not talking about like a food truck not showing up kind of suffering. It's okay, you can repent about that later. How upset you were. We're talking about severe suffering. But this is what disciples and discipleship process looks like. You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model. You became an exemplar. You became a pattern that other people could be looking to and finding their courage about. Church, we've got to do more than just talk about becoming dangerous to the enemy. We have to become dangerous to the enemy. You can't ride on someone else's cloaktails about their deep convictions. You have to go to the Word and watch those be developed in you. By the way, and you became a model. The word there in the Greek, if I remember correctly, is tupos. It is the impression that's made after severe force, as if you would imprint something into leather. It's a cutting, but it's forceful. You had to become something because there was a process of you becoming dangerous to the enemy that others could gain from, that the Naamans of the world could be transformed by. Come on now. Say it with me. Say dangerous to the enemy. Dangerous to the enemy. Say it again. Say dangerous to the enemy. Dangerous to the enemy. That's what we're becoming today. How we become that is we put on the cloak of becoming the men we follow. Putting on the cloak of humility and courage. Taking up the dagger of full price sacrifice of God's word and deep convictions. In 2 Kings 5.26 we continue. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you? When the man got down from his chariot to meet you. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? See, Elisha's heart was with Gehazi. He had every hope of him picking up and wearing the cloak that he possessed. He gave him every opportunity. The cloak that he had hoped to give Gehazi was instead replaced with a cloak and dagger of greed and selfish ambition. He asked him, is this the time to take money and clothes? Elisha knew the season that he was in. It was a season to go to full price sacrifice, to leave no room for selfish ambition or greed, but instead to stand on deep convictions and be clothed with humility, trusting that God would meet every need that would come about. And that would lay the foreground for all disciples to follow. Church, we just have a few minutes left together. But, but I really have to, I want you to 
evaluate this scripture with me. The one that's on the screen, the one that's right there in front of you. Was not my spirit, was not my heart. Didn't my heart go with you? Weren't you and I connected like a disciple and a disciple maker? Weren't you and I connected like a father and a son? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes? But where does the rest of the list come from? He got silver and clothes. Olive groves, vineyards, flocks and herds, male and female slaves. That hasn't been in the discussion, not at all. Or has it? More than just the silver, more than just the clothes, Gehazi was trying to build his own kingdom. Let me find my own place for anointing. Let me find my own place for joy. Let me build my own kingdom here. See, because if you've been sitting here thinking that we're talking about somebody else other than you, you've missed it. But pastor, I'm not one of those guys who are after, you know, jet planes or something. Yeah, but are you secretly conspiring to find the praise of other people? (laughs) You think greed is only about dollar bills? What if it's about the olive groves? What if it's about the vineyards? What if it's about having enough wealth through the flocks and the herds? What if it's about just having enough people that are around you that think you're pretty darn great? Pastor, I'm not after wealth. Clearly, you see how I dress. I'm not after that. But are you looking for the warmth of comfort? Pastor, I'm not after cash. I mean, although it does actually take money to, you know, to live and to do what we do. Compromise. Cowardice. Pastor, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to fill my own coffers here. Yeah, maybe not with dollar bills. See, these were parts of Gehazi's cloak the whole time. And they're probably parts of your cloak and my cloak that we have to get the Gehazi out of here today. Those things where we're trying to build our own kingdom. We're trying to find our own comfort. We're trying to consistently, constantly, we're trying to build something to make us feel right about it. But if you've burned your plow, if you set those things aside, if you've laid down your life and taking up the cloak and the right kind of dagger, then you have not that option. It's not just incurable leprosy that grows. Pastor, how can I be greedy? Because I don't have very much. I don't have a big bank account. How could I possibly be greedy like Gehazi? Maybe that's the worst kind of greed. It's the one that's always looking for something else for you to finally feel satisfied in the kingdom. Never have enough. You never have enough. You think it's going to be after you get married that you're happy, and then you realize, well, that's not making me as happy as I thought. Maybe it's when I get kids. Maybe it's when the kids grow up. Maybe it's when I get another car. Maybe it's when I get another house. And there's always something. You don't think there's Gehazi here today. You don't think there's the cloak of Gehazi that we have to get rid of today. We're going to get the Gehazi out of here. 
no matter what Gehazi's language said, he didn't want the cloak of Elisha or of Elijah. He wanted his own kingdom. We're going to get the Gehazi right out of here today. Come on, somebody say, let's get the Gehazi out. An additional way that we get the Gehazi out is that we be strong and courageous and we do the work. Like John 9, 4 says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. John 4, 34, my food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Verse 38, I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. In John 17, 4, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. How do we get the Gehazi out of here? We be strong and courageous and we do the work that the Father has given us to do. We have a cloak to put on. We have a dagger to hold and we have work to go and finish. Church, we've got to also have the dagger of desperate dependency on the Lord. Not an attitude of protectionism, but an attitude of DCD. Disciples confronting danger. See, this is where the word of God has to cut our hearts. Apart from him, we can do nothing. nothing. The reason that God is trying to show us this today is so that we can get the Gehazi out of our lives. Those are the things that while we've been saying, yes, Lord, we want to become dangerous. These are the the things on the inside that have to be cut away. If you're dependent upon anything else but him, Deuteronomy 8 says you don't even live on bread alone. You live on the word that comes from his very mouth. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm hungry for the word of God. That is what is sustaining us. You got to be like Levi, who had no regard for his own family, but chose to guard the word, to protect the very covenant of God. We'll put up this last slide as, as we close. Gehazi may not have started out being a familiar character to you. But you may find that you're identifying with him more now than you thought ever possible. For us to be dangerous to the enemy, we've got to wear the cloak. We've got to become the men that we follow. Only accepting the dagger of full price, sacrifice for us. This is how we drive Gehazi out. We've got to be cloaked in a pure and righteous humility. With that dagger, the sword of God's word that is first piercing us and then is able to impact someone else. We've got to be cloaked in courage. You've got to be able to stand up like a man with courage in every endeavor and have the dagger of deep convictions that is always with you, always at the ready. You've got to be cloaked in the work of the Lord. And let the dagger of dependency cut away every worldly thought, every worldly desire, every leprous part of your life because it'll spread and it will bring only death. But we have the right cloak and dagger here today for us to become dangerous to the enemy. We conclude with 2 Kings 5.27. 
Naaman's leprosy, leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence, and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. The result of Gehazi's actions, as we read, is that Naaman's leprosy clung to him. It never left him. Everywhere that he went, the effects of his decaying flesh were right there with him. See, like Gehazi, you'll still have the stories. You'll still have the religious speech. You may even find yourself to be employed by a king. But what is certain at this point is that you will never again have the cloak of Elisha. Not for you, not even for your children, not for your descendants. It's not just a personal decision. It is a generational decision. Our descendants are at stake. This is by far the most damning result of Gehazi's carnal cloak and dagger. His cloak of selfish ambition and dagger of deception robbed him and his descendants from inheriting the riches of Elijah and Elisha's discipleship. This is a warning for us, saints. Our descendants are at risk of our disease. We need to protect them. We need to get the Gehazi out of us so it does not carry on to them. It is for their sake that we don't care a damn for the things of this world. It is for their sake that we are disciples creating disciples. It is for their sake that we are disciples confronting danger. And it is for their sake that we are disciples curing diseases. God has given us the cure to get the Gehazi out. Now is the time that we stand to our feet. We let the dagger of God's word, the cloak of Christ, be our aim. That here at this altar, you can be cured if there is a solution to our leprous nature. That is Gehazi nature. It is here that we can repent of this Gehazi nature, putting it to death so that we can live, live to be cloaked in Christ, live to have his word in our hand, to be filled with dunamis power, to live like disciples confronting danger and even disciples curing disease. Join me as I pray, as we seek the Lord's face here at this altar to get rid of the disease that we don't want to carry to our descendants, but we want them to inherit the cloak of righteousness, the cloak of Christ. We want them to possess the dagger of his word so that God's name is made great from generation to generation. Mighty God, it is right here that we lay our lives down before you. Lord, let it be here that our Gehazi leprous state, that it die and find its cure of resurrection life. All selfish ambition die here. All greed die here. Lord, that we would take up the cloak of our disciple makers. We would wholeheartedly grasp the word as they do 
to become like the men we are following. Lord, we need your resurrection power. We need your humility. And we call for your resurrection life to fill us.
never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see you working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Never stop, never stop working. Never stop, never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. something special when you're able to come when you can come to an altar and say Lord that really is what was in me but we know in who you are we can trust in who you are Lord when we lay these things down before you we don't hide it not even a little bit because we've gotten the Gehazi out of here and we can entrust his powerful word, his powerful works. See, that Gehazi is what keeps you from becoming dangerous to the enemy. You are able now, with clean hands and a pure heart, to be able to become all that God has intended for you. As you constantly get that Gehazi out of the way, raise your hands for the Lord. Mighty God, we thank you. Mighty God, we love you. Lord, those things that were once cloaked to us have now been illuminated by your word, Lord, and we stand full of life, full of joy, full of strength because of you. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to have Lord, those Gehazi-like ways in our lives at all. But that as you reveal them, Lord, you also remove them. Lord, as we stay transparent before you, Lord, let this be the attitude of not just this session, but of our lives as we move forward. 
Lord, we want nothing to keep us from becoming dangerous to the enemy. Lord, this is a group of men and women who are disciples who are confronting danger, danger from without and even danger from within, Lord, that we might accomplish and advance your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for your ability to come in and move on our behalf. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanks. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray.